The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. One of the neat things about being a plaintiff trial lawyer is learning about all the different stuff that there is to know that comes up from all the different types of cases I handle. I'm not a lawyer that just handles one area of practice. So for example, I don't just handle car crashes or I don't just handle product liability or I just don't handle medical negligence cases. I handle everything I can. And so that means that there's a big variety of things that I need to learn about and things that I need to see. So I thought I'd talk today a little bit about site visits. It sounds, sounds not exciting, but it is exciting. It's kind of like modern day exploration of the unknown. You never know what you're going to find or see. And it's how we look at the different actual things involved in a case. Now, most of the site visits, of course, that I make are uh, for cases where a person has not survived. Uh, sometimes they've survived and been badly injured, but not always. And so lots of these stories, in fact, most of the stories I'm going to talk to you about, um, the person didn't survive or was critically um, permanently injured. So it's solemn. So on the one hand, it's fun intellectually in that there's a new challenge, there's a new set of facts or sequences to puzzle over, but it's somber. It's kind of an intersection of intellectual curiosity and emotional tragedy all at once. So I never mean to make light of any of this. Um, And you'll see as I tell the stories that some of them are definitely uh, not as fun as others, even when you look at it purely intellectually. So I will um, start off with one of the worst stories I can remember. It's not even the worst story, but just one of the worst stories. Um, So I represented the Owen family who had been on US-2 heading up to Leavenworth uh, for a Christmas time family celebration vehicle had the mother, the father, their three children, and the husband of their middle daughter in a suburban. And they were going up the mountain not knowing that the roadway should have been closed by the Department of Transportation due to a weird set of weather circumstances uh, that weakened the and soddened the ground, uh, making tree root systems very vulnerable Um, winds and cumulative snow slash ice hardened by this weird weather sequence. Um, So normally, well, not normally, they should have closed the road. In fact, all the surrounding little uh, counties had been closing their roads, but the state didn't tell anybody about what was happening, and trees started falling like dominoes, including across the roadways. Um, It was so bad that the state patrol had asked the Department of Transportation to close the road, um, but they hadn't. There was a little tussle between state patrol and DOT, and uh, uh, 
kind of during that process, that's when a tree fell on the vehicle of the Owen family, killed the parents instantly and crushed uh, three of the children with only one that was in the very, very back of the vehicle, surviving for the most part physically, though unscathed, though mentally traumatized. It was a terrible, terrible situation. Anyway, um, it was winter and the, the wreckage of the car was pulled over and taken to Skykomish, uh, which is a very little town population of about 220, last I knew, and right on the road of US-2, there was a tow yard. <clears throat> and that's where the vehicle stayed for a while outside in the elements, but buried under snow, still with snow crushed into it from the tree. And so it was just a frozen vehicle. When I got involved, I had the vehicle towed to a secure storage area in Seattle. And at that time, uh, the family asked me to retrieve whatever items I could from the vehicle. So they had it fully loaded and fully packed with, you know, games that they were going to be playing in their luggage. And all of them had lost their cell phones and um, everything had just been left in the vehicle after the emergency extraction and taking everyone to the hospital. So the vehicle was at MDL and that's in kind of the industrial area south of Seattle proper. So I got in my car and I drove out there and met uh, a gentleman who's always there. I've known him for forever, who let me in. And MDL has this big, like a size of a hangar, airplane hangar warehouse. And that's where they store cars that have been involved in terrible collisions. And they kind of cordon them all off. And when you call up in advance, they bring the vehicle or they move it so that you can walk to the vehicle and look at the vehicle with your experts or whoever. Well, on this day, it was just me and the gentleman from MDL. And what had happened was that by the time I got there, of course, the snow had melted off of the car. And the car, the vehicle, the, the roof had been pulled off partially by Jaws of life to extract, but it's also it had also been severely crushed the inside by the, the falling tree. So we could get access to the vehicle. We then began the practice, he and I, of pulling out the stuff. And we put on gloves and we put on that's all we had is we just put on some gloves. We should have put on a hazmat suit, but we hadn't thought that far in advance. And so we started locating items in the vehicle and pulled them out and put them along, uh, made a little row of them outside of the vehicle until we had extracted everything that we could. I was crying during the process because when I see a vehicle, I can't separate out. Well, I can separate out, but it's like, I'll give myself permission to kind of feel what happened. And it's like the vehicle tells a story. You can see 
you can see the story. You can see what happened when that tree fell down. And my mind is a vivid, I have a vid, vivid imagination um, in terms of being able to recreate. Uh, I think it's because I read so much or I love movies and I just, I just was always a fairy tale girl. So in my mind, this is like the anti-fairy tale. I could see the tree coming down. I could see what happened to mom and dad because there was physical evidence of it. I don't want to get more descriptive of that. I've never had to do anything like that before where I was actually in a vehicle um, that had been such a place of death and destruction. Um, so we pulled it all out and just were, we just sat there quietly traumatized together. Ultimately, it was... Um, The family came and looked at it and decided, I think that they didn't, you know, I don't want to say, but I don't think they were able to take anything back. Nothing was salvageable after being having been out there like that for so long. I took I took a couple bags home in my trunk of the cell phones and things that I thought that they might want more than the other things. But that's an example of one of the visits that I've made. Another visit involved going to um, Grace, Har Grace Harbor Community Hospital. And I did a, what's called a CR-34. I wanted to do a site inspection. And what happened in that case was my client, a young woman in her 20s who had a lot of pre-existing medical conditions, had gone to this hospital, which is a very rural little hospital, which is right out actually by Hoquiam, where our other second office is. And she'd gone out to that hospital and they had assumed that she was having a, a condition without doing a proper workout, workup, I mean, and uh, without going into detail, by the end of her stay there, which was only a very short period of time, uh, that day, the next day, they had let her legs die. She had to be flown to Harborview and had a double amputation. So my purpose of going to the hospital, you might think, Karen, why would you do a CR-34 to a hospital? And it's because I'm, I'm not a, a lawyer that just settles cases. I'm a lawyer that visualizes them and, if needed, tries them. And uh, in fact, this case settled but it was ready to be tried. And, th and that often is how cases are settled uh, well, is if you have a reputation of taking cases to trial, getting good results, and they know that you're not bluffing and that you're going to take it to trial. Uh, so I was preparing for trial, and I wanted to go to the hospital. And here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to walk the halls and see every room that she was treated in and where they were in relationship to one another. I wanted to take pictures so that when I told the story of what happened to her, I could show where it happened. I believe in the power of place and thing as well as the power of person as when telling a story. So in telling a story, I, I often illustrate them and I want to go into hospitals so that I can um, take people through the journey of this hall led to this hospital room, led to this OR, led to this recovery room, led to, you know, 
da-da-da-da-da. And my memories of walking through the hospital for that occasion um, were following the defensor who was wearing clicky heels. I just can still right now just remember her clicky heels. Click, 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 click as we were walking through the hospital rooms. At first she had been exasperated with me saying, no one ever asked to look at hospitals, Karen. Why would you do that? And then finally kind of understanding and getting at what I was doing. And so she was quieter. Um, But that's an example of another site visit. I'll tell you one more. I have a whole bunch of them. I have uh, so many site visits that I couldn't even list them for you. Um, Again, I gave you examples of two of them where I was alone, but... For example, in the, in the Ride the Decks case, two site visits, one back to MDL, that same storage facility, uh, to look at the deck with, um, with all of our experts. And there were, I don't know, 10 experts. Um, we also went to the Duck Nest, which was where they serviced all of the Ride the Duck vehicles. And we were in there for hours going up and down and Um, the rows of them and looking at axle housings and um, letting our experts get under the vehicles or do measurements. And that one, they got mad at because I took a picture of Andrew in the duck unit and put it on social media saying, oh, we're having so much fun. And they complained to the judge that I was taking photos in the facility and putting them on social media, which was, of course, prejudicing them prejudicing them, whatever. Um, and the third visit, site visit we had to make in that case, we had to go out to Arlington, which is about an hour, hour and a half drive, again, with a boatload of experts, and look at the bus, which was in an open, where they have a big vehicle. So buses, campers, I think a couple airplanes, big semi-trucks and tractor trailers, big, huge things. We're up in Arlington and uh, we set up shop up there and we're up and down and inside and outside of the bus where five people lost their lives and so many people had been injured. It's just so solemn when you, when you go to these places involving pieces of equipment like that and it just feels like, I can remember I was at one in Snohomish County. I was just a Jeep and I can just remember crying because, and I had never met the people, but it was like, it was like a burial ground. Like I could hear their screams. Anyway, the last one I want to talk to you about is a playground. This playground was Redmond Town Center. And um, I represented a family whose baby daughter was killed there. And, um, it was a playground outside that was basically an attractive nuisance. It was ungated. And um, the, the little toddler um, ended up being run over by a car since cars were all over the place, uh, as one would expect. But this playground was right off the road. It was beautiful little playground and uh, not even that old. 
But for whatever reason, they never put a gate on it. Well, I know the reason. They didn't put a gate on it because they didn't want parents to ever leave their kids there alone. I mean, this is a toddler play field. No parent's going to leave their kids alone. And they did that instead of gating it so that the toddlers couldn't get out into the street. Go figure. Anyway, that I went twice for two different exams there. One... Um, and the second one was, again, one of the more formal ones. The, the expert, um, playground experts, they need to take measurements. They need to take photographs. They sit there. They analyze. You walk around. You take your own photographs. I often like to take photographs of my experts there taking photographs and doing work. Because, again, when I tell the story of the case, even when they're testifying, I like to show that they were there and what they were doing to the, to the, to the jury. So these are things that a trial lawyer does when they prepare a case. It's not that we just sit in a room or take depositions. We go out, we explore, we investigate, and we become acquainted with bodies of knowledge of all sorts. Um, so I, who don't know anything about cars in my own personal life, other than to take them to the car shop, I have looked inside of hoods. I've, I mean, I know all kinds of bits and pieces about different types of problems with the car. I know all about um, standards for <laughs> this or that, I've had to look at why something blows up or why something catches on fire, or you fill in the blank, including medical. Um, I'm not medically trained, but you don't need to know the whole body of knowledge to be a lawyer. All you need to know is the specific area, the specific sequence, the specific issues related to a very narrow part of something. And that's really fun because most experts don't know just that narrow little amount only. They know a much wider range. And so you actually can cross-examine, for example, without being lame at it. Because by the time you get to trial, you're able to be almost an expert. Well, pretty much an expert in that subject area. Not the whole body of medicine, for example, but the whole bot, the body of medicine relating to at what point should you realize that, a, that two clots have, have migrated and should have uh, and, and blocked art, arterioles and you should have arterioles, arteries, major arteries, and that as skin became mottled or turned color, uh, someone should have noticed enough to have done something before code blue was called and even then nothing was done until the legs were completely all the way dead so you get to become an expert in a very small subject area and it's just it's just wonderful for not and when i say intellectual mind i don't mean like snooty intellectual mind i mean inquisitive just wanting to know how things work and how the world is put together and why things happen. And I've always been the kind of person that I don't want to say I get bored easily, 
but I like the new challenges. I like learning new things. And that's why I don't like doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Final story. I have tried two miso cases. That's an asbestos type of um, substance that basically smothers you to death from the inside. Your lungs become filled with as like as if you had spiders growing in your lungs and they just cobwebbed everything until there was no more ability for your lungs to expand or breathe and you just died uh, of not having the ability to have any air. And these are industrial, typically from industry, exposure. Um, so I've tried two cases. And what's been fascinating to me, the, the last case was really fascinating to me. I, I was brought in, um, by Simona Fries, who's a really great trial lawyer from California, and she knows asbestos inside and out, and she came to do the MISO part. I did damages, and she did liability. When you listen to a, a MISO attorney in trial, you just think, oh my God, this person is the most brilliant person, and they are brilliant. But what you also come to realize is they use the same witnesses, they use the same outlines. They use the same scientific knowledge. Nothing changes. So they actually do become experts in their field because they just do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Damages change. Although most people that end up with a meso case, they, they, they've passed away. They rarely survive to trial, the plaintiffs. But the science of the liability is set in stone. And while it's impressive to listen to, it would, it would, it's just not something that I've ever aspired to do. I like to do a little bit of everything well. I don't want to ever just be a medical negligence lawyer or a product liability lawyer or a car accident lawyer. I want to do it all. Civil rights as well. So these are my thoughts today. The fun and Interesting part of practicing law involved in site inspections. Over and out.